Hello, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Stones of Fire by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International, and we are finishing up Chapter 5. It was August the 17th when a baby was born. There was no one to help the little mother but Lucing Ma and those instructions from the girls' Bible school. But mother and child both came through all right, and it was a boy, a very tiny son. Lucing Ma was enraptured, and even old Lucing Pa, when allowed to return to the shanty, beamed all over his wrinkled, kindly face. But no message was sent to the young father, away over an oak flat in rainy season Bible school. Old custom still held influence. It was Lucing Ma who at last got off a message, very casually worded to her absent son. Baby was already twelve days old when his father learned of his existence. Lucing tried to act unconcerned and pretend he was not excited, but the sparkle in his eyes and the toss of his head spoke volumes to those who knew him. Aren't you going home? asked Mama curiously. Oh, it's not necessary, he replied with a studied nonchalant. And then I have asked Mapa to name him. Oh, what is his name? He suggested Paul, which seems a little too grand. I did not mean to give him such a wonderful name. Oh, nonsense. I think Paul is a good choice. You will be Paul Pa and Mary Paul Ma. Mama had a scrutinizing twinkle in her eye. No, no, Lucing spoke warmly. I do not want someone to call us such. I want us to go by our Christian names. When the parents are known by the child's name, it is called technotomy, and the Lesu tribe practices this. Lucing, however, would not have it, and he was successful. Never once did Mama hear anyone try to call him so. A few days later, very early in the morning, Lucing appeared at Mama's door. I've got to go home, and thrusting a letter into her hand, said, Read this, Mama read. Dear Lucing, I hope you are well. All the brothers and sisters send their greetings. Our son was born on August the 17th, just as the light was coming through the clinks of the wall. God gave strength, and your mother helped me. Baby looks like me, I'm sorry. Maybe he'll look like you when he grows up. No trouble came until these last few days, when he's been vomiting, and won't eat at all now. We did not know what's wrong with him. He's getting thinner and thinner. He's only four pounds at birth. I'm not asking you to come home, but we fear the baby will not live. He is so tiny. Be happy. Do not worry about me. But I wish you could see our little son before he dies. Goodbye. Dwell in peace. The writer is your dear one. It will be seen from a master letter writer she was. No one could ever say she had interfered with his studies and called him home. She but pulled on his heartstrings until he could not stay away. By the time Ma Pa came out of bed to ride him at River Pass, Lucing had eaten and was ready for the road. While Ma Pa was writing it, Lucing sought Mama for medicine. After reading Mary's letter, Mama made a guess at the complaint, showed him how to make a soap stick, give him an eyedropper to use if the others failed, supplied a simple baby medicines and sent him off. We may try to picture his arrival. How fast his heart beat as he sped up that long, familiar trail and sighted the village where his dear ones were. How shy and embarrassed he would be as he entered the shanty. But if, by good luck, no strangers were present, how quickly he would have that small form in his own hands and arms. Inquiries showed Baby was indeed very sick, but Mama had guessed all right. Patiently, Lucing tried the soap stick. 
it did not succeed. They then heated some warm water and the eyedropper was used. Relief was immediate, and by evening, baby was sucking again and the next day was quite normal. What rejoicing! Lucing Ma never ceased to boast how Lucing had saved little Paul's life. How minutely we Manny was examined by the ecstatic daddy. His face was like Mary's and his hands are like mine. Lucing wrote to Mama, I think he's a nice looking little boy. He has no hair yet, just a soft fuzz on the top of his head, and so we must leave them temporarily. Ma Pa and Mama and Danny were now setting out on their furlough. Brother three were staying behind with a lesu, which was a comfort. But as the Japanese war had not ended, lesu letters would be difficult to get out of China. No censor could be expected to recognize that script. Brother Three, of course, wrote, and when Mama asked how Lu Sing and Mary were getting along, he replied, Very happy, I should say. Mary and the old mother work together in the fields, whilst Lu Sing goes around preaching. Lu Sing tore down his new house after the colonel moved out and is rebuilding it near to the church. I would say that Lu Sing is the pride and glory of both Mary and the old mother. Paul is growing and could stand having his face washed a little oftener. And so with a murmur of human happiness as God has planned, it was most sweetly for men. Issuing from their little shanty on the mountainside, they must be left for a couple of years. Chapter 6 The Climax of the Lapidary Scale the most magnificent diamond in the world's history was presented to the King of England, who sent it to Amsterdam to be cut. It was put into the hands of an expert lapidary, and what do you suppose he did? He took that gem of priceless worth and cut a notch in it. Then he struck it with a hard blow with his instrument, and lo, the superb jewel lay in his hand, cleft in twine. For days and weeks that blow had been studied and planned. Drawings, models had been made of the gem. Its quality, its defects, its line of cleavage had all been studied with a minutest care. That blow was the climax of the lapidary skill, seeming to ruin the superb precious stone. It was, in fact, its perfect redemption. For from those two halves were brought two magnificent gems to blaze in the crown of state. This chapter is to tell of a blow, seemingly to ruin the precious stone. But in reality, it's perfect redemption. Even in the world's greatest jewels, there are defects and weaknesses. As they come raw from the bosom of the earth, to make them great, the master lapidary must study and then cleave. In Mary's love for God, there has been a long, weak human element which must be disentangled if her worship was to be pure. She had first been attracted to God because of loosing loved him. And all this time there had been an adoration of loosing mixed up with the adoration of God. That must be corrected. If not, there was a constant danger that the one might crash if the other did. So for years the great spiritual master lavadary had been studying the lines of cleavage, and the time was now ripe to let the blow descend. He himself did not strike. The analogy is general, not minute. He just allowed human nature to take its course always under his controlling hand. Now, when war with Japan ended, it was not wise to recall women missionaries with children immediately, but some of the men responded to a call to return first. Ma Pa was among these, and so it was that the Lay Sioux Church welcomed him. After a few months of visiting them in their villages, Ma Pa announced that the mission had asked him to take a long trip to make a survey of the whole province. 
in fact, to discover how many tribes there were as yet unreached by the gospel. He invited Lusing to be among those who accompanied him. And, of course, Lusing was thrilled to go. The trip took seven months. But at the end of that time, Mama and little Daniel were back and able to return to Le Siouxland with them. Some of the girls' Bible school students made a special trip to welcome Mama home. But Mary was not among these, as she could not be spared from the farm. She wrote a loving little note and hoped that in the days ahead, Mama and Danny would visit Olive's. After seven months away from home, it was wonderful to have Lucing back. The neighbors crowded in to talk with him, and the evening chapel service was fully attended while Lucing gave one of his sparkling descriptions of their wonderful tour, in which they had found 100 tribes. Mary's eyes shone with pride, and Lucing Ma, sitting on the back bench, could not conceal her gratification but exclaimed over and over, Marvelous, marvelous, nodding with joy to her neighbors. The only thing that could have been seen the least like a cloud on such a happy occasion was the attitude of Lucing's own son. During his long absence, Lucing had become a stranger to little Paul and could not entice his boy even with two cakes of brown sugar. The two-year-old consistently refused to capitulate. He was a master in that house. Only he howled for something Grandma and Grandpa gave it to him. In vain, Mary administered gentle spankings, and soon he learned he only had to cry loudly enough and the grandparents would intercede. But this person called Daddy. He looked as if he would be capable of real discipline, and little Paul quietly decided it would be wiser not to get too friendly. Patiently, Lu Sing tried to coax, but his little son determinedly backed away. Although he did not see Mama immediately, Mary heard from her, for Mama had brought back a new study called the Bible Club Movement. Though really for children, young people could join too, she said. In this club, you studied the scriptures together and also memorized verses for which you received awards accordingly to encourage you along. At the end of each year's work, the Lacey Award was a time at the Bible school, all expenses paid. Quite a few of the young folk at Olive signed up for this memory course. But Mama quietly noted that Mary was the only one of the married girls who did so. The others laughed and said they had no time. Mary was busy too, but she propped up her Bible against the weaving loom as she wove she memorized. Timothy belonged to the club also, but as he liked to do his mostly at night, they often listened to one another recite until Lucing Pa declared that this babbling every evening was getting to be a nuisance. But Mary was the first girl in all Lesulin to complete the course. Among other things, she had won a hymn book. This particular edition was expensive for the Lesu. For as for the girls' Bible school expenses, she did not need to memorize as far as that. Being a teacher's wife, her board was paid by the Lesu Church. Nevertheless, she memorized it through to the end. And later, the second year's course was offered, she finished that one also. At length, the time came when Mama was able to pay a visit to Olive's. It was five years since she had been at the village and she saw great change and growth. For instance, at the Welcome Arch there was added a children's choir who sang from memory in four parts. There's a teacher at the door led her in. Lydia led them, and to hear small, eight-year-old boys roll in their bass, Oh, let her in, let her in, was amusing. Mama felt rewarded for all her pains to emphasize children's work at the yearly girls' Bible schools. As she went down the long line shaking hands, she looked especially for her Bible girls, and for Mary in particular, because she had never seen little Paul as yet. There he was, tied to Mama's back, and pushed forward so that Mama might take and shake his little hand too. 
Then there was Martha with Apollos on her back, and Coy with her second son, Sarah with her second little daughter on her back, and so on. It was a joyous reunion, and Mama went from house to house among them who had been her girl students and were now kept from Bible school by the responsibilities of motherhood. Each little family seemed very happy. Rachel had married Jason, and though sorry for the loss of their first baby, their clean little home was a shining example of what could be done with just lace equipment. On the door of Mary and Lucing's house, someone had written in pencil, Mary and Lucing, you have a beautiful home, and the airy, clean, trim bamboo bungalow deserved its accommodations. Mama was pleased with many observations on that visit, but a tiny incident in the evening chapel service deserves mention. Leasing was leading, and Mary was in her usual soprano seat at the end of the first row facing the pulpit. Mama was sitting among the altos so that she could see both those on the platform and those in the audience. As Leasing warmed up to his subject, he became really eloquent, and Mary's face was a picture. Her soul was stirred by his message, and her love for him welled up until her countenance was transfigured. Like a beautiful little opal, her face glowed with adoration, fervency, and devotion, until suddenly his own eyes saw her. For just a second, recognition of their mutual love and their heart union in the highest matters of God and man flashed from the one to the other joyously. Then, just as quickly, Lucing looked away, and Mary looked down at her lap. But Mama had seen. When he spoke and cheered his table round with large, divine, comfortable words, Beyond my tongue to tell thee I beheld, From eye to eye through all their order flash, A momentary likeness of their king. Do you know the opal, its lovely hues, And that sweet lamp of fire that ever burns at its heart? For the breath of Lord God is in it. Elise Hopkins in her seat, Mama silently rejoiced and thanked the Lord that after five years of married life, the fire still burned on. Rejoiced, too, that it was the love of God that fanned its flames higher in each heart. Such pure love has transfigured each into the momentary likeness of the King. For no sordid passion can produce a glorified face like that. It was a light from heaven. At the close of that visit, Mama had to return to Oak Flat but not before Lucing had told her that he had a new idea, a new dream. He was going to tear down his new house and build an earthen house, a large two-story place which could house a hundred students or guests, sleeping sardine fashion on the floors of the upper story. Also, at the side of his present house, he wanted to build a much larger chapel, the reason being he wanted to bring rainy season Bible school over to Olives. Flat Oak had had RSBS for ten years now, and the surrounding villages had had the blessings of the weekend ministry of the students. It was time the West Bank of the Salween received an opportunity for such ministry, and so he wished to get ready. At that time, Mama had little hope of such a large move. Water, fuel were scarce at Olives, two very important items for such a large undertaking. Then a house for the missionary staff must be built. Too much was involved, but Lucing had his vision and proceeded to carry it out. And in one year's time, to her own astonishment, Mama and her whole household were moved over to the village of Olives, temporarily housed in Lucing's new home, while the skeleton of the bamboo shanty for her family was going up next door. Mama had two foreign visitors also those busy days, one of whom was a medical doctor. On the day that girls' Bible school began in February of 1949, these two much-appreciated guests left. The girls now had to take turns in preaching on Sunday noon. 
It was um, from a message Mary gave that Mama first awakened as to the subject matter of this chapter. When Doctor was here and spoke to us, said Mary, she helped me very much in that message on trial. I had been feeling that no one had such heavy trials as I had, but Doctor said that everyone has trials and that they are purposely allowed of God that we may develop and grow in our spiritual lives. That was a great help to me, changing my point of view. Even as a limb of the body needs exercise, or it will become unusable. So we Christians must have circumstances that cast us upon God, or we will never experience the strength of his undergirding arms, or the faithfulness of his love towards us. That message has been a blessing to me. Mama sat up and thought, I've been feeling that no one had such heavy trials as I had. What trials had Mary had? She was working hard, for she was an industrious little body. But many other girls in Olives had to labor much harder. Loosing her husband was considered well off. She had to live with her in-laws, but they were Christians. Rhoda was having a hard time with her mother-in-law, but she was a heathen, very talkative and a gossipy one. Trials? What were Mary's trials? And from then on, Mama began to take note. After many years of quiet alertness and putting pieces of information together, the whole matter stood revealed. And this is what happened. For some time, a silent rivalry had been growing up between the two women who loved Lucing supremely, his wife and his mother. Each one coveted to be the dearest of all to Lucing, so that in family differences, it must have been a problem to know which side to take, his wife's or his mother's. Little Paul was another source of rivalry. One hesitates to say jealousy, for it never reached a point of bitterness, and visitors would never sense anything at all. But still, it was always there, unspoken. Lucing Ma was what was described as a driver. She herself was so full of energy, worked quickly and ably. Mary, though industrious, was much slower to think or even to move. For a hint to be thrown to her husband that she has not been working hard for the family food was simply unbearable to Mary. Faithfulness was a very part of her. On the other hand, Lucing Ma did not mean to drive. She had a habit of talking to herself and did not realize that often she forced Mary into action when she did not know her spoken thoughts had been overheard. Mary, having lost a great deal of weight, needed no prodding to work. In fact, should have been encouraged to take things easier occasionally, but fearful lest her mother-in-law go up and down the village bemoaning that the work was not being done. Mary often forced herself into the fields when she should have rested at home. This had gone on for some six years when one day it reached a climax. The buckwheat field waited to be harvested and Mary was feeling ill. The harvesters go into the fields with the first streaks of daylight to cut and bind by hand, with only a few minutes rest at noon for lunch until dark. It is very fatiguing. Mary felt that a day's delay in getting that buckwheat in would not make any difference. But Lucing Ma, with her impatient nature, felt otherwise. She tried to hire help but everyone was busy. She could get no one. Following her old habit unconsciously, that evening as Lucing Ma went up and down the trails asking for labor, she moaned out loud, Everybody's sick. Just when the harvest must be brought in, it may rain and the crop will be ruined. Whatever will I do? Our buckwheat for the year, and no one will help. And so on. This was reported to Mary, and in such a small village, everything is told immediately. The result was that before the daylight the next morning, Mary, forcing herself, got up and cooked an early breakfast, and by the first streaks of light was out in the buckwheat field working hard. By nighttime, she was almost ready to collapse, properly vomited. 
when the matter came to Lucy's attention. I didn't say she had to go. The old mother, alarmed lest she lose favor with her dear son, was on the defensive immediately. I know she was not well, and people have to rest occasionally. She would go. Then in a low tone to Lucy, you know she's obstinate. What could I do? I couldn't tie her up, could I? And so the argument began. It was not the first time this had happened, and Lucy was probably getting tired of it. When they were alone at night, Lucy probably felt he should exhort Mary. You're too sensitive. Don't go around with a chip on your shoulder. You know the old lady does not mean what she says. And she is right. You are obstinate. When she said she did not mean that you were to be the one to go harvest the buckwheat, why didn't you believe her? And so on. Mary's only answer was a burst of tears. To Lucy, this was disgusting weakness. And thoroughly impatient with female unreasonableness, he flounced over on his bed and went to sleep. But there was no sleep for his little wife. Every bone in her body ached from over-fatigue. But more than all, her heart ached. And that, after trying so hard to please everybody, she only succeeded in getting herself scolded. That loosing Ma had whispered that word about obstinacy. She knew it right well, and she knew, too, the unconscious reason for it had been not to lose favor with loosing. And it was not the first time this had happened. To defend herself, the mother-in-law had blamed her the wife, for obstinacy. As she lay there, weary and discouraged and alone, the only one awake through the dark hours, the tempter had a rare opportunity, and he used it. Put Lucy's love for you to the proof, he whispered. You know what a heathen wife would do under such circumstances. Run away, stay away until he comes to fetch you. That would wake him up. And it would scare Lucy's ma, too, for according to the heathen customs, if he did not come for you within three days... Your father could take him to the law as not wanting you. Does he want you? His words tonight do not look as if he loved you, not like he used to. The tempter of souls knows how to stir us up and the right moment to suggest his lies. This time he succeeded. When Lucien got up the next morning, Mary's bed was empty. He did not think much of it as she frequently rose before he did. But when breakfast time came and none of the family had seen her, then he became somewhat alarmed. His mother, conscience-stricken, was the first to guess what had taken place. Do you think she's run away, she whispered. Lucing stood transfixed. His Mary, so often pointed by the whole village as the most faithful of wives, run away? Published to everyone that his, Lucy's family, had been in a quarrel? He, the most impeccable evangelist in the village, to have such a disgrace. The fire shot to his face and his eyes blazed so that even his mother was scared. Maybe not, she added hurriedly. Maybe she's just gone to, down to her father's. I'll go right after breakfast myself. I'll tell her I was wrong and ask her to come back, she said eagerly, hoping to escape the punishment of her son's censure. But Mary had not been seen or heard of at her father's. Alarmed and knowing well that publicity was what Lucing feared more than anything else, his mother made a pretext to visit Martha, but there was no Mary there, and so on. Secretly, as long as it could be kept a secret, the family hunted for Mary, but there was no trace of her. Then they had to face the inevitable. She had taken the heathen course and run away. By now, Lu Sing had himself in hand, and with his quick, keen judgment, he made a decision. He called the family together that evening and held a council. The first thing to be kept in mind was that this matter should not be nosed abroad. He was the leading pastor of the whole church, and hundreds were looking to him and his family as an example. Mary had definitely chosen a heathen way to defend herself, but all must work together to cover up this fact, if cover was at all possible. 
The next morning, Lu Sing Pa and Lu Sing and Timothy, all making an excuse, would set off in different directions to try to trace her whereabouts. One to go north, one south, and one west. It was hardly likely that she had attempted to cross the river. She was too spent physically to try to go away far. They were not to ask if she had run here or there. They were to inquire about grain at likely places, homes of friends, and at the same time keep their eyes open. By the second day they had traced her, she had gone to Sandalwood Flat to the home of Samuel Jew's mother. The old lady and Lu Sing Ma were fast friends, and she had been entertained by Mary when on a marketing trip to Olives. Mary evidently had not confided in them, merely saying that she needed a rest and had come to pay a visit for a few days. But Samuel, a graduate of Tally Hospital, the only trained medical in the countryside, made his knowledge of how to treat sick bodies an excuse and discovered a bit of her secret. He had always been an admirer of Mary, and under his kind, sympathetic questioning, Mary probably relaxed and told him. Such a situation was not without danger, for Samuel was a handsome young bachelor, much desired by many maidens, but he was a Christian too, and his unconcealed admiration was pleasant. So when the second day Timothy arrived at the Jew house, Mary knew that he was searching for her and felt gratified that Lucing had not wasted any time trying to find her. She sedately refused Timothy's invitation to go home with him, saying she wished to rest another day, and Timothy knew what that meant. It must be an invitation from Lucing before she would come back. But there was no scene. In fact, the whole affair was a marvel of discreet and clever management, for not a breath of it ever got beyond the borders of the village of Olives. In all such villages, there are many gossips who would love such a dainty morsel that the leading pastor's wife had run away from him, and he had had to send for her. That such never got abroad was miraculous. It was someone's clever, capable handling of a difficult situation, but it was managed. Two years later, Mama had not the faintest idea of it, not until Mary's own mention of trials sent her to questioning. Then Lu Sing himself finally opened up and told her. When the little wife was brought home, according to Le Su's custom, a fine chicken supper would be served, or even a pig killed to honor the occasion. Her plan seemed to have been just the thing. Ah, no, the tempter never leads us into green pastures or beside still waters. Mary was to pay bitterly and for many days long for obeying the instincts of the flesh and the voice of the God's enemy. Just a few months later came her admission in the girls' Bible school in 1947, as to the blessing of Hebrews 11.1, 1, when she added, And decision is important. Just what she meant by that, none of her audience guessed. But already the bitterness of a wrong decision was beginning to eat into her life. The first reaction in the home life of her family had been a respectful kindness shown towards her. Lu Sing had doubtless spoken to his mother, and so she went out of her way to welcome Mary and guarded her own tongue as she had not done for a long time. But among Lucing companions, there was a different attitude. One of his chief friends at this time was Andrew, lately elected deacon at Olives. And Andrew was brother to Lydia and married to Rhoda. They too lived with his mother and had found that his wife and parents did not get along well enough together. Andrew was a fine man, and naturally he sympathized with Lucing and the wife and mother-in-law matter. And Lydia, always an admirer of Lucing, was filled with the resentment that Mary had almost brought the stain of public disgrace upon the young church leader. From that time on, the friendship between Mary and Lydia ceased. They spoke when necessary, but never were seen together, and formerly they were chums. On the other hand, warm-tempered Rhoda stoutly defended Mary and carried to her all the tales of what went on when Lucing visited Andrew. 
Whether feelings were put into definite words or not, Lucien began to feel that Mary had injured him. And then Andrew and Lydia pitied him because of it, and his conduct began to change towards his little wife. She felt that something was gone. More and more, now did Lucien go down to the hill to Andrew's house. Sympathy and welcome awaited him there, but always like a shadow, Rhoda flitted back and forth. Sooner or later, Mary got to hear of all that had been said, or even just looked. Nothing evil took place, but Lucien began to become cynical. Hard little remarks about the wives and marriage, and he and Mary were never seen talking together. At evening chapel service, the tenors and the altos sat on the side, facing one another. Lucing was a tenor, Lydia was an alto, and so it happened that, without being conscious of it, even a fine point was made in the message. Well, Lydia was right opposite, and she was keen to appreciate such things, and so a smile of, that was well put, yes, wasn't it, would flash from one to the other. It never occurred to her young husband that Mary saw the smile, and that it had been a knife in her heart. That quick fellowship with her husband and the things of God had always been one of her greatest treasures. Now her former chum had it. So many things in life we do thoughtlessly. Leasing and Lydia never dreamed that they had taken from Mary that which was dearer than life. Probably they never even thought such a small matter as a smile in public. Leasing always had such a smile for his friends, but it just happened that Lydia sat opposite him in chapel where he could not but see her. Mama did not recognize at first what was happening. Having been on the alert to watch for Mary's troubles, she did not notice that sometimes during chapel service a grim look, almost pain, would cross Mary's face, who closed her eyes for a few moments of silent prayer. Gradually the tense lines would relax and peace came on to her. Then she would open up her eyes to fix them determinedly on the speaker, as if refusing to let outside thoughts distract. Song of Solomon 2.14 and 15 O my dove, Thou art in, the secret of the stairs. Let me hear thy voice. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. Mary was learning the secret of the stairs. There is a viewless cloister room, as high as heaven, as fair as day, where through my feet may join the throng, my soul may enter and pray. One hearkening even cannot know when I have crossed the threshold o'er, for he alone who hears my prayer has heard the shutting of the door, Donover, her feet in the throng, her soul stealing quickly up the secret place of the stairs. That is how the little stone of fire endured. What a fiery purging this experience was, one can only glimpse, never really know. A heathen wife would have replied with a flirtation, that is the devil's way out, and there were plenty of young men who have helped Mary quickly if she had shown the least desire to tease loosing in that way because Olives is a large village and has an unusual number of men, heathen as well as Christian, and Mary notably attractive. But she had followed the devil's advice once and now knew that she was reaping the harvest. Christ had a way of escape too, to let him fill all the empty places of our hearts. She chose to trust with this heavenly lover to meet him in the secret of the stairs and confide the sorrows of her soul to his loving, pure heart. It was months before Mama discovered the reason for the use of the stairs in chapel. Mama pondered. Should she speak to Lucing and Lydia about it? To say it was a thief? It would be a strong word. To insinuate a smirk where no smirk had been would be to arouse an anger that might be hard to pacify. Bishop Taylor Smith's words, Sometimes to meddle is to muddle, kept ringing in her ears. 
and yet to know that Mary was being tormented in worship service. That also was hard to bear. Mama found herself watching, and when she saw Mary's face grow grim and her eyes close, Mama would pray also, Oh Lord, meet with her. Give us a solution to this. And when the look of peace ironed out the pain on that young face, Mama would pray silently, Thank you, Lord, how wonderful you are. Mama marveled that this constant torment never kept Mary from chapel. Every evening, no matter how hard she had worked during the day, nor how ill she felt, she was there, and always in her assigned place, stone of fire. It would have been easy for Mary to say to herself, I won't go to service if those two keep hurting me like this. Or, well, I can sit in a different seat where I cannot see them. She did neither. She never missed a service, never took another seat. Passion held by principle. Unconsciously, too, she was learning a new lesson. Worship of God and love of loosing were being disentangled permanently. Chapel service now was meeting with God and nothing else. She was allowing her soul to be tried in the fire that it might come out pure, with only the image of the master stamped upon it. After descending the secret stairway of prayer, she opened her eyes with a resolute focusing of her attention upon the scriptures or the hymn words, and she kept them there, refusing to let them wander. Thus she grew in sweetness and power. At least two other young girls and olives were won by Mary and nurtured up in the faith by her, Abigail and Eurodia. Furthermore, during the Girls' Bible School of February 1949, the village of Little Olives sent a message to Mama after Mary had spent a weekend with them. It is said, We have received much spiritual help from this girl student. Please send us more like her each week. But the time came when Mama, with a definite burden, felt she must speak to Lucy about the matter. Mary was ill. The communists were pressing down in the canyon, as was told in the following chapters. And Mama knew that peace of heart must be brought to the little sick wife. She prayed for the opportunity, and one afternoon, Lu Sing walked in when there was no audience. Lu Sing, sit down for a minute, she asked. I have had some heavy thing on my heart to talk to you about. It weighs me down more than those political dangers. It is the matter of a rift between you and Mary. When I was here in December in 1947, I saw that there was a warm love between you two, and I rejoiced. Now things are different, and your little wife is very sick. Samuel Jew says that Mary has been fretting about something for two years. I did not ask him what, for it is not our business. But I feel that you ought to investigate and make things right. It may be something careless that you have not conscious of, or a spoken word that hurt, which you have forgotten. There is obviously something that is causing tension, and I think it ought to be removed as soon as possible. Lucing's face was sober. I do not know of anything, he replied. I think it is very incompatibility of temperament. Nothing of the sort, said Mama warmly. I do not believe it. But I think you could find out if you tried. Well, I certainly would want to confess it, if there was anything, said Lucing thoughtfully and quietly. It would be my duty before God to do that, if for no other reason. I will go and ask. And he left the room, and Mama went up to her room to pray. Later on in the day, Mama had reason to seek Lucing Ma, and so she went down to the hill to the latter's house. She was not at home. But Lucing and Mary were. Mary lay on her plank bed by the fire, a serene smile on her face, with Lucing sitting close by, playing Mama's Victrola to her. The whole atmosphere of peace and happiness filled Mama, who left quickly with a prayer of thanksgiving. Those many journeys up to the secret stairway for Mary had not been in vain. The delicate cleavage of the precious stone is not for its ruin. 
but for its perfect redemption. Next time is chapter 7, Made Only of Desert Dust. That was a, We've been a little bit longer today, but it was worth it to finish up that chapter, and it was really a good lesson to learn and for us to think about in our own lives. I love you. I'm praying for you. Bye-bye for now.